0: Recording in progress, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 54 of the Roses and Rhetoric Podcast. Joining me again, special guest co-host, the no less charming, no less Joe, Joseph Matts. Joe, thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, happy to be here, as always.
0: As um, as promised to our, to our viewers last week, um, we will we'll open up this episode with a Discussion on the conclusion of the Daniel Craig, James Bond saga. No time to die. I saw it last week, Joe. I'm assuming you saw it either today or yesterday. Yeah, I saw um, it
1: yesterday evening. Yeah.
0: At yesterday evening. Um, let's let's start with your opinion as kind of the the official voice of reason with all things film and cinema on this on this podcast. Um What did you think about the movie, and um, what were your thoughts when it was all over, when the uh, when the Daniel Craig saga came to an end?
1: Yeah, uh, obviously, if you have not seen it, uh, I'll just head it off with spoiler alerts here because uh, (laughs) I don't I don't think you can really dig into this one too without going into the spoilers at a certain point. So if you haven't, that's
0: that's fair. Spoiler (laughs) alerts will follow, and. And basically, skip ahead. I will probably be talking about this for at least ten or so minutes, so you know, kind of feel free to skip ahead if you have not yet seen it. Um, So with that throat clearing, yes, let's let's get on with it.
1: Um, I I enjoyed it overall. I think for me, this film very clearly slots in as the like number three of the five Bond films that Craig has done. Um, I think it's it's very clearly better than two of them and very clearly worse than two of them. So it's left, very easy to judge it on that standpoint. And I think it also kind of showed the benefits and the negatives of the Craig Bonds really being serialized versus the past Bonds tend to be very loose. Like you'd have a, the same M or the same Q, but otherwise everything was switching up. Every Bond movie, there wasn't a lot of continuity where these ones have really stuck to like, oh, there's an actual through line through these films. And so I think it benefited from that because, yeah, as we said, if you're still listening, you've been warned, you know, Daniel Craig dies in this one. It's very clearly the final Daniel Craig Bond movie.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> and the fact that all these characters have a history with him does make those final moments have some real, like you actually are moved to a degree in this one, which is not something you're, I'm used to feeling in a Bond movie. But I think the downside was because more than any other Bond film, obviously it builds off the last one. And the last one wasn't very good. <laughs> so, like, I, I didn't have quite the same connection to the, fe- you know, like, Blowfield dying. It was just kind of like, all right, cool. He's dead. Great. I, right. I didn't care about him. Um, his whole relationship with uh, Leah Sido's Madeline, like, sure, it was fine. Right. Uh, like uh, you know adding a kid you know gives it a little extra pathos at the end there but i can't say i was like super all in on that relationship no so that robs it of <laughs> some of what it's going for there like i honestly the stuff with like all the people who he worked with kind of meant more to me right uh, I, what What did you think jimmy i well obviously in the, the action scenes i thought were you know they're well filmed uh carrie joji fukunaga is probably best known for the Filming the entirety of the first season of uh, True Detective, I think you know he visually does a good job here, but I don't think it was the best Bond film from an action standpoint, story no. standpoint. But like I said, it was also not the worst of these five. So
0: let me let me start by by saying that I I went into this movie fully committed to Daniel Craig as James Bond. I. Sure. Enjoyed him as James Bond, I much more so than I enjoyed Pierce Brosnan. Um, I think the Daniel Craig Bond was a smarter Bond, was a was a more enjoyable film franchise than I felt from you know the kind of almost high sci-fi James Bond of, yep. of previous you know genres Def- where you definitely. villains with diamonds blown into their faces, shooting <laughs> space lasers down you know evaporating entire you know continents almost I mean it was it was uh here's Brosnan's James Bond at the end became a caricature and you know to like such a high degree that it was almost like what am I even watching anymore then we're introduced to Daniel Craig in Casino Royale and it's immediately different it's a gruffer James Bond you know it won is hesitant to use the words realistic when talking about james bond it's it's definitely got some some jason bourne dna yes so i say that to say this i i thought no time to die was basically at best a mediocre movie like at, at best
1: i like i enjoyed it for the most part but this is this is not a movie where I'm like, oh, it's a must see. Like, no. If you if you enjoy the Bond movies, it's eventually a must see. <laughs> right. Yeah. Year from now when yeah. it's on Netflix or HBO or whatever. Yes.
0: Yes. Everybody will eventually see this movie, but eventually is is the key word there. Um, let me let me start with some with some some plot devices that I felt. Out of character for Daniel Craig's James Bond. Okay. Um, programmable nanobots that only kill people of a certain DNA. Um, that felt more Pierce Brosnan to me than the previous Bond, than, than the previous Daniel Craig villains. I mean, this is after all the same James Bond that, tongue in cheek, is given a radio in Skyfall as kind of like the epitome of you know technological prowess, right? I mean, it, it was very much like i said a more realistic take on intelligence um the nanobot plot point out of character in that regard um the almost comical lack of development of the main villain i mean no
1: i agree with that
0: can anybody can anybody actually summarize in, in one carefully worded sentence who this guy actually fucking is does anybody fucking, I mean, you kind of get a couple of expositions, but in any movie, you're like, wait, who the fuck was that guy again? Like, I
1: and mean, I, I, I was a little confused as to exactly why his motivations are what they are. Like, whoa. Why is he
0: but so even intent? that, but remember, even, even there, we see, we see Mallory comically, again, almost make fun of the movie itself of saying, what are his motivations? Oh, something about freedom. I mean, they, they, they
1: essentially come out and, very
0: vague. Yeah. They essentially come out and just say, uh, eh, he's kind of a bad guy. Like that's essentially what the movie tells you about the film. Um,
1: and, and of course he is the classic, like you and I are very similar. <laughs>
0: it's yes, just like, which are you? Explored, well, right. First of all, <laughs> they're not. Second of all, they already did that plot point inspector in a in a right. you know, kind of a more believable way. And they kind of even touch on it a little bit in Skyfall with the main villain there, who kind of in a way is is. Actually, not even in a way was himself a former uh, MI6 agent as well. Right. So, so yeah, kind of these weird revival of themes that I felt they are, had already dealt with. Um, for people who are wondering, Joe Mass is like the worst of five. Daniel Craig Bond. What? What? He only he's only done four. You're forgetting Quantum of Solace. Everybody else. Is, <laughs> everybody. Everybody else is also. Um, uh... I would say my my favorite of the Daniel Craig Bond movies is by far Casino Royale. I mean to me that's the that's the best one, I think.
1: I I, I would have to revisit them to be certain of it because I really think there is a very clear like 212 dynamic to this and quality. Uh, I I remember liking Skyfall a little bit more than Casino Royale, but I, you can't go wrong with either of those. I think yeah. those are two of the best Bonds of all time without yeah. question. Yep. Yeah. And then, like you said, Quantum of Solace was pretty forgettable. And if honestly, I, I probably should have rewatched Spectre just to make sure I wasn't missing stuff in this one. Because, right.
0: But I didn't, didn't really want to, which no,
1: is about Spectre.
0: Basically, from what I gather, the reviews that I've read of No Time to Die more or less touch on the things we're talking about here. I mean, kind of poorly laid out plot points forgettable villains you know um so yeah and, and i was i was disappointed i thought you know if ever there was a need for a movie to uh, speak highly of the importance of uh, qualified individual and in important institutions it was now and uh, to see it so firmly fall on its face really to me was uh, an unfortunate uh, an unfortunate turn of events i mean it was uh, it was a letdown for me because you know so you let, let's actually talk a little bit about the action scenes as well i I felt at several points in the movie um, there was bizarre choices of CGI and bizarre choices of uh, of a cinematography. I remember a few scenes in the car that felt weird to me, and then um, uh, some of the other chases at as well felt kind of bizarre. Maybe that was just me. I, you know, I'm I'm very finicky with with poor uses of CGI, but um all in all, like, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> uh,
1: well, nothing like that really stood out to me. Like, like there were. At least I I don't remember catching any like over overt like visual failings of this movie. I'm just kind of confused as to again like what the villains are trying to accomplish at certain points. Like there's that whole chase in the car, and what is it like the Norwegian countryside? I forget it. Yeah, you you don't even know where you are. (laughs) But uh, yeah, wherever Madeline's house was, and then they're chasing them in that car, and all these cars just like kind of like bump into them, and then he like trucks them over and right I, and i was confused i was like are you trying to capture them and that's why you're being so gentle here but then later on they're just shooting at everyone right So it's like if you just wanted to kill them it seems like it was an easy solve they had a helicopter they like 10 cars right But so it's like they're fighting with their hands tied behind their back and then at the very end of the movie it's kind of vague on how many bad guys are in this facility and then eventually, right. it becomes clear that they—they're all dead except right. for uh, what's his name—the—the the main villain, Rami Malek's uh, uh, Saffin. He so do not even I know I his no name. Idea. I don't Prove, even, proving looking, how underdeveloped he is as a character, he didn't even know who he know was. Right. <laughs> like, he really—he doesn't really matter outside of like what he does for James Bond's personal life. Right, because, like he has some backstory with Madeline, where like her dad killed his family, and so he killed her mom, and it's this whole thing, which again would matter more if I was in on Spectre and I really cared about, right, character.
0: right, the daughter of an assassin. Yeah, I mean, well, what was interesting too is that you know, so at the end. James Bond ends up being infected with the nanobots, right? Which but
1: you could—you knew someone was going to get infected with the nanobots, right? It was going to cause this sort of issue.
0: But it—it—it's it, kind of a consequenceless, or how, how it says, it almost is without consequence because he's already fatally wounded, and
1: probably, probably, and he
0: has to stay behind to reactivate the doors to let the palms fall into the facility. So it's like adding insult to injury almost, but it really, it's like, he still has to get blown to pieces in the end. So even well, though- all time, right. I, I'm going to i
1: gonna—I'm gonna defend that a little bit just because I feel like your alternative is, if you like, let's say he's able to like close the door or open the doors, and then he's like, he's wounded and he's probably going to die. But if he doesn't know for sure that like, there's no point in making- Right.
0: This. He may make an effort. Is that what you're right. going to say?
1: Right. And so, right. So he's making an effort. <laughs> versus having the like emotional phone calls so i feel like that makes sense Um, trying to set that up towards the end there and i I do want to give some credit to like some fun bits where like during that bit there's one time where he like turns this corner and it's like a circular kind of tunnel hallway and right right when he turns he does the shot which is like the classic like bond opening song end of shot so i like that they threw like things like that in there as like his swan song here so I, th- I thought that was fun. So, All right. you know, I think that this movie has moments. Like I said, yeah. I I think it's better than two of the other mo- films in this franchise or the Craig franchise. Sure.
0: I mean, like, I again, I it's better than a movie good. that no one even remembers. I mean, that, that's what right. I'm
1: saying. Like if, if I was grading this overall, I would probably give it a B minus, like oh, wow. maybe a C plus. Your grading, would, grading
0: criteria of B-. B I would give it a C at best. I would, I would
1: give it a- at least a C plus for me i think it, it has enough good action it does like pull your heart strings like again it pulled my heartstrings despite my lack of investment in one of the key relationships here right so i feel like it earns some points for that and also having like i almost think i'm grading on a slight curve because it has to overcome specter
0: or <laughs> i just you know just over overcome um because even i think Spectre plays on Quantum of Solace a little bit, from what I remember. So, I mean, you really have to. I
1: honestly can't remember like anything about either of those two movies.
0: I um, in in any event, like I said, I despite this movie being kind of a letdown, it still Daniel Craig is my is my favorite Bond that I've you know still probably still my my favorite Bond. Certainly, I enjoy him more than more than Pierce Brosnan's character. But again, that's more to do with the type of movie that Kiris brosnan's bond played rather than you know the acting it right
1: by one of them
0: it was i enjoyed the daniel craig perspective more so definitely. than definitely
1: i definitely liked the turn into like a semi-realistic bond and then I, what one thing i wondered about that were you as surprised as i was about the uh the minimal anna de armas in this movie because i felt like in the previews and stuff i was like oh she's yes. gonna be a key person in this right and she has like 15 minutes
0: and then she's yeah and which actually kind of
1: liked where they just like say goodbye it's like see you later
0: (laughs) yeah see ya I was I know I'll I'll tell you what I was more disappointed in was the um the even even rather much more brief uh Felix presence I mean I feel like
1: yeah yeah I I I love Jeffrey Wright he's he's fun he's been fun throughout this series
0: yeah so so I, I wasn't was, shocked
1: that, that they sent him out, though. It's like they're obviously going to off some people here.
0: Well, sure. And, you know, he's black, so, you know, he's already, you know, <laughs> living on borrowed time in, in the cinema universe. So, I mean, it's, you yeah. <laughs> <To>, know. To survive <laughs> multiple installments.
1: Through, through four movies. That's so That's pretty cool. Yeah, that, yeah, as the American, like, sidekick in a James Bond series. So, yeah. that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, no. He, I, he was I did like not the, a lot of uh, this the, world.
1: some of the back and forth with. Uh, our known 007 james bond and the new 007 where they had their little bits and pieces
0: yes no i actually thought uh she was great i mean she was yes. definitely a highlight in, the, in 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 the film for me um but yes to to your point the uh you know 15 minutes with the uh and i guess she was also an american the uh I can't, I can't pronounce her name oh,
1: Spanish. Armas, or she was a yeah. Cuban, like working for the CIA. I don't know yeah. what exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: but no, that was enjoyable. But yes, I thought it would be longer as well. Um, but um in any event, people are you're you're gonna see it. You may as well go go see it. It it it, it was fine. But uh, you know yeah, if you
1: uh, like James Bond, I, I'm yeah. not gonna tell people don't see this one.
0: No, no.
1: I would just say you know, you don't have. Unless you want to, like, see it on the big screen for, like, mostly that opening sequence. After that, I'm not sure actually how much you even need the big screen for this one, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, Okay, anything else on James Bond? Um, Do
1: you you have anyone you're kind of rooting for to be the new James Bond? Because I I was an Aedris person for, like, 10 years, but now I'm, like, he's in his 50s already. Like, I don't think that's, unless he's doing, like, a one or two off, and then they, like, Go again. I don't, that doesn't seem like a long term.
0: No, let me, let me voice something controversial. I mean, what is, what would be the, do we even need another one? That would be my, that, well, that I don't know that we need it, but we're oh, getting, <laughs> would what, 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 what we, we be served by it? I mean, I would say, I don't know that I'm looking forward to James Bond as much as I used to. I would, I would say that oh, the right. Daniel Craig kind of perspective. On it to me left me with kind of it's like yeah i think it, they can walk away from this one now i what i would be more interested in is um you know maybe something in the bond universe but not james bond like why i don't remember her name the black actress the new devil as it were but, right why not just you know.
1: continue on with this team and now yes. she's kind of like more front and center so that's a yeah. lashana lynch playing nomi
0: yeah, that would be that. That would be my vote is to have her kind of. I would be
1: perfectly vote. happy with that because I do really like the cast they built around.
0: Yeah, I, I also believe really, uh, I enjoy great. Mallory's character. I enjoy Money Penny's character. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's, there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of power in, in the team they have right now, and I would say, I mean, they kind of already set that up like verbatim. Yeah. Like I'm double. that, double. that is the like, one
1: thing I've been wondering is like you you got all these like good actors in this situation. And it does. And you can't just throw in another James Bond with these people, because I think that would undercut like what this movie does. It can't just be like, oh, there's a new James Bond. We'll pretend Dale Craig didn't exist. So it feels like you're either completely starting over. Or, like you said, you just kind of continue on with this group, but without the actual James Bond, it just goes 007 now.
0: Yeah, that would be my vote. If,
1: if you're if you're to I, continue, that. That would I would, I would enjoy plan. that. Oh, um, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is if I was doing a recommendations for other films outside of the Bond uh, canon, Sure. Mission Impossible, the, the last, I'm forget blanking on the name of the last one, but Fallout. Yeah, Mission Impossible, yeah. Fallout, which really kind of does the same thing as this movie, but better.
0: Way better.
1: <laughs> Where it's like. Way better. It's very much a continuation, especially of the previous Mission Impossible, which, again, it helps that the previous Mission Impossible had already been really good versus, right. again, Spectre. But, like, that movie really ties in kind of, like, the entire Mission Impossible franchise into, why by the end, you're like, how did they tie, like, everything in to this movie? It so and, it, and it also just works as its own movie. Yeah. Like, it, it completely, it's probably the best Mission Impossible Honestly, I I think I would probably take that. Maybe Casino Royale, Skyfall are in there, but like that might be my favorite of Born, Bond or Mission Impossible was Fallout cuz that one's just a
0: blast. Yeah, Fallout in like the last 10 seconds, I mean, if there's ever an, an end of your seat moment, yeah. That that movie um was so good. We we should have right. a whole other episode on and Fallout. There's there's oh, so I many
1: sequences that in that movie. We're like again, this Bond I liked the action, but there's not, I'm not like, Oh yeah, that sequence. Like if this comes on cable in a year or HBO, I'm not gonna be like, Oh, like I got to watch this scene. we like, if I'm watching, if fallout came on and I still had cable alas, but if that came on, there's like, Oh, here's the parachuting scene. Gotta watch it. They're going to fight in the bathroom. Gotta watch it. Yeah. Like the end. Yeah. Like there's so many different parts where <laughs> you're just sucked in.
0: It, fallout was so good. Um, I love that movie. Tom Cruise, obviously batshit crazy, but yeah. I mean, God damn, that is a good movie. I mean, that is uh, that is uh, that is such a good movie. Um, if you haven't seen Fallout, go see Fallout.
1: Yeah, go yeah, see definitely.
0: Yeah, if you <laughs> like if Fallout,
1: Fallout. Check them all out.
0: Yeah, Fallout is is the reason why... If you have cable, it's like, why were you late to your kid sporting event? Oh, I, Fallout was on TV. It's like, oh, why were you right. late to picking me up from the air? Oh, Fallout was on. I had to watch that. <laughs> like, yeah, it, that's going to be Fallout. And I was like, oh, I, sorry, I'm late. I was watching No Time to Die. Like, no, <laughs> you, you were, you know, you're lying. What were you really doing? I was watching Fallout. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so. It's
1: always Fallout.
0: It's always Fallout. Uh, yeah, Fallout was was a was a good fucking movie. Um Okay, good, Joe, I, I'm glad that we had you on for that. Um, yeah, go, go ahead and see it. Like I said, not not a great movie, not a great Bond movie, but it was all right, go, go ahead and see it. Um, okay, anything else on Bond? No, I think, I think I'm good on Bond. Okay. Well, I kind of set this up last time you were here. Um, violence in film, of course, nice going from James Bond, to this of course bond is uh, a weapon basically of uh, mi6 um although sometimes he doesn't pull the trigger as he reminds us in skyfall but usually he does uh <laughs> almost always he's gonna shoot something.
1: he's got a license um, to kill so
0: yeah right 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 um okay let's oh
1: actually let's... Well, that doesn't remind yes, me of but... the one thing i wanted to bring up is just uh the how hilarious it was when the uh, one like i don't know russian defector scientist guy yes. just decides to threaten nomi with like racial genocide right and so she why? Just kicks him to a vat of like acid water but like and why would like, he... you yeah. why would you do that that's the <laughs> okay. stupidest thing you could do he had like, nothing to just... gain from that and he he's like... not like posing any immediate threat no. and she just murders him and you're like yeah that's fair though because he just threatened genocide yeah <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yeah. And like what a, What was he gonna accomplish with that?
0: Like I don't know. <laughs> nothing.
1: It's the stupidest yeah. thing. And I also love. Like, yeah, am not uh, considering the possibility that when you make a uh, nanobots that can target people genetically, that it's just really a genocide tool. Yeah.
0: Like, oh, it's all. It, it, it's a exclusively... bad, bad
1: idea.
0: Yeah. 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 Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he died, and I you know and then shed a tear over his death. Um. Yes, violence in movies. Okay, this is something I wanted to talk about. I kind of teased it up last week with you, Joe. We were talking about, I thought it was a fun question. I don't know. Maybe other people thought it was kind of boring. I thought I thought it was a fun question. A favorite movie, a favorite film, could be a TV series where violence is not used to resolve the plot. I gave my answers as Castaway in Apollo 13, Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks for Life, and Tom Cruise as well. Um, Oh, and, all in on the Toms. yeah and you and you gave me your favorite answer as uh step up to the streets no uh,
1: <laughs> violent dancing is violent so that doesn't yeah. count
0: yeah well that's you know kind of my footloose but no anyways um did you want to change your answer from last week
1: uh no I, I would say you know I'm still almost famous lady bird and then if, if we're removing the coming of age ones uh, then it would probably be like the social network.
0: Yes, I, I actually I think I told you I watched Lady Bird recently and I rather enjoyed it. That was a good movie. Um, yes, yes. Coming of ages is, is a good is a good genre for this. Um, social network. Yeah, we're, <laughs> to-
1: we're we're gonna have a conversation about that at some point. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna yeah. Um, okay, here's here's why I wanted to bring this up. Yeah, we're coming into coming into the Halloween season. A couple weeks. Obviously, people will be watching horror movies, kind of horror films. Yeah. I think people would agree one of the, one of the best parts of, of horror movies, and in particular, the kind of monster type movie, whether it be werewolves, zombies, vampires, whatever it is, is that you, you are introduced to a villain where basically there is a guilt-free murder of a bad guy nobody feels bad about killing zombies nobody feels bad about killing jaws nobody feels bad about killing um you know whatever the monster is or whatever right or,
1: or even if it's another person like if it's the scream movies like you get to the end and when sydney headshots one of the murderers you're not yes. like oh man i kind of like that guy you're Like, well, oh, no he's a psychotic murderer
0: yes yeah right right um that, uh, that that's kind of part of the thrill of it. And so I thought today would be a fun, a fun thing to discuss this um, mindless murder in movies and, and, and guilt-free murder in movies of a couple of varieties. The first is the mindless killing of the masses. Think Avengers, think Justice League, where you know you have good guys and the bad guys are this kind of indistinguishable mounds of people no personality no whatever that are just kind of obliterated by the good guys and it's, it's they're almost like uh like a set piece yeah i remember i wish i could remember the person who did it oh, let me let me say this and i'll turn it over to you I, I remember there was actually a good review of this i think it was in vox and they were talking in context of the latest star wars trilogy where they actually began the new trilogy with Flynn, who was a stormtrooper but who has a moment of crisis, rediscovers his humanity or something to that effect, yeah, 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 and becomes a good guy. And then later on in that exact same movie, you go back to the kind of mindless masses stereotype of the stormtroopers that are just blown away by the uh, you know, by the rebel forces. Um, so let me let, let me open that up. Kind of get, kind of get your, your your take on that. And then I have a couple of other movies I want to go through where that kind of the mindless masses and guilt-free murder comes into play with some movies that I watched earlier this week.
1: Well, yeah, I think when you, you bring that up, like I think back to the first Avengers movie where it's not even clear if those things are like, are they more robots than they are aliens? Because it feels like at the very end when the, like uh, Tony sends the nuke up into space and it blows up, that everything... All everything that invaded just kind of collapses at once, which right. like gives you the idea that like oh these aren't even like sentient beings, right? So that's kind of like an easy out where it's like they can destroy all these things, but it's like oh they're not even they're not even alive. But I mean yeah you're right we we do often see this kind of like mass <laughs> death. Where stormtroopers are a very good example where they've spent like nine movies now <laughs> just just getting wrecked, <laughs> completely and, wrecked. That was you know, actually I, you.
0: One of the funnier scenes in uh, Clerks, when they're talking, I think it was Clerks too, where they're talking about the Death Star being blown up. And uh, he's like, you know, there were probably a lot of contractors that were just working construction (laughs) jobs and they got blown to pieces. (laughs)
1: No, that's true. And then I guess what Lucas even tries to kind of like give the out a little bit, just like oh, they're all clones. Which right, but why is a clone
0: person? I mean, right.
1: Which then is becomes a whole other situation where you have to dive down. But but I yeah, I think when I think even clones, it kind of like lessens your like relating to them as like living beings because we all obviously view ourselves as like oh, we're unique. Whereas a clone. They're all the same. Of course, as soon as they start living, then they have different experiences and they would actually become unique. But that's right down the rabbit hole there eventually. But
0: but they're all in possession of a mind, you know, Right, and and they're all, you know, people. Let me let me let me set you up with another movie that I thought I watched or I watched that I rewatched this week, and that was Age of Ultron.
1: Um, Ultron, yeah. so yeah, i movie. think is a much more interesting movie than people give it credit for
0: oh i i think for actually for multiple well that one in civil war i thought were yeah the two most interesting you know kind of of the avenger of the avenger uh i mean i guess that one would be captain america but you know it kind of felt Avengers. yeah because,
1: but, because yeah when you by the time you get down to like end game and stuff and people are like oh i think Thanos was the point it's like so you're just like pro genocide like Oh, so that, that was point. always bizarre to me. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, it's like the he whole, has unlimited yeah. power and he just desi- decides mass genocide. It's like I feel like there are other options. Like you only have to think for two seconds there. Like yeah, it's, it's not actually, complicated. Well no, like, there was with there Ultron. Was whole... You have a whole thing too, where it's like it's about Tony like wanting to build the his yeah. male shield around yeah. the Earth. And so even if you don't, ha- you don't have to buy into anything going on with Ultron, you can just look at like the way Cap versus tony feels about things in this in civil war where it's kind of like you can you can kind of see why each guy is motivated the way that he is
0: yeah well and, and captain america's kind of insistence on you know no checks and balances that he basically is going to trust his own moral judgment to uh wield the power of the avengers is uh, the very he's antithesis of right which is america it
1: sounds kind of <laughs> it, right it sounds insane but at the same time he's also all about like personal accountability, where on some level, Tony's trying to take away his own accountability
0: because he isn't true. So up to it. True, true. And, and give that, yes. No, that's, that's true. Um, to Ultron in particular, though. So people who remember the film, basically Ultron creates... A variety of robots that he inhabits you know kind of his mind is spread throughout the robots and for mo- for reasons that make sense within the film universe basically they have to kill every robot to kill ultron okay so that's that's, right. that's the problem
1: they're, they're all yeah they're all interconnected as long as one yeah. is alive then his consciousness exists yeah
0: now here here is my problem with them. the the very last scene the moon or Maybe a second to last, but near near the end, Vision is talking with the last um, instantiation of Ultron, the last robot form right. yeah. of Ultron left. Vision's talking to him. You know, Ultron is giving his reasons for you know hating humanity or whatever it is, and Vision's calmly listening to him and arguing back and forth. And in this moment, I think a very telling thing happens. Vision and Ultron are having a debate. They're having a debate. Now, Ultron, we are led to believe, is actually an intelligent, an artificially intelligent robot. But as I said before on the show, putting artificial in front of intelligence doesn't really make any sense. Either you're intelligent or you're not. Either you're a person or you're not. Whether you're carbon or silicon-based, it doesn't really matter very much. The point of the film is that Ultron really was a, a mind. He really had a mind. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure.
0: To the extent that Vision was arguing with Ultron. right, And basically the last kind of second of the film, the last robot Ultron lunges at Vision and Vision blows into pieces. Okay, well, why couldn't Vision just kind of dismantle the weaponized parts of that robot, but keep the Ultron mind intact if, if it made sense for Vision to have a debate with Ultron because he has, he was in possession of a mind, then I, I think you can make the case that really they shouldn't have killed Ultron in the end. But they, they should have tried. They, they, they should have treated Ultron as you would treat any other criminal, which is to give them some kind of chance of rehabilitation. They, they could have done that with Ultron. They could have just kind of taken away his guns, basically, and just kind of put him in prison or something like that. But uh, instead, they decided to kind of bomb the pieces. And I thought, you know, it was basically, you know, and again, you could argue it was self-defense because Vision was lunch at and all that other kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. I think at the end, it was just kind of, even though Ultron in the movie had a mind, the audience doesn't, at least I don't think the audience, I didn't feel when I first saw it, we don't really feel like a person is dying when the last ultron robot dies it's kind of this evil menacing force that dies but i'm really a person and i think yeah. that that lost some weight for me on the second watch where i thought you know they they shouldn't have killed him in the end they, they should have tried to keep him alive and change his mind through process of
1: faith i guess i mean obviously from a practical standpoint they just didn't have a plan for more ultron so that's what right. He does. right but from uh, from trying to defend it as a actual choice within the movie that vision makes i guess i would just argue that like you know vision has part of ultron inside of him and so i think he's very aware of what ultron wants and he kind of see like i think he would probably have a better understanding of like this guy's just a one-track mind at this point Hmm. and there's not good like i can debate beyond
0: redemption joe is that your argument that some people can be beyond redemption oh my god (laughs) (laughs) horrible
1: (laughs) i mean it's it's dark but i think that would be the defense is that vision knows as being part of ultron on some level that this guy's not going to change
0: oh wow wow so
1: why he's just got to end it
0: Man, some people can't change and therefore we just have to kill them. That sounds pretty dark, Joe. That <laughs> sounds pretty dark. Well, I was thinking, you know, really the, the the reason that movies have to use these kind of mindless things to be killed is because, of course, in a movie, you're not going to have time to develop 200 characters or something like that. Right. You maybe can develop four. And as you learn in James Bond, even that can be a little bit challenging, developing a <laughs> character. So, you know, I understand it, but I, I do... I, I've never been one to really worry about, you know violent video games or, or or things like that, and i'm I'm still not. But I do I do think it, it, it's interesting the link between violence and excitement and how, mm-hmm. you know, big battle scenes are exciting. When really, if we think about it, even in the context of the movie, what we're watching is a lot of people die. Right. That's ultimately what we're faced with as an audience. that we're watching a lot of people die. And it's kind of being reduced to an excitement. I think that's kind of interesting.
1: Which, which, yeah, I mean, that falls into one of the big debates about my favorite film, Saving Private Ryan. Yes. Where there's there's this argument about, you know, is it an anti-war film? Is it a pro-war film? Can any war film be anti-war? And a large part of that just goes to the the D-Day sequence, which is obviously the main thing that people remember from Saving Private Ryan. Because it was so visceral, again, like a ton of veterans who went to see it like had to leave or even be sedated because it was just so it was just triggering to them Mm -hmm. but for those of us who obviously had not seen combat right there is obviously there is a visceral thrill to watching that i mean like put in that situation where i don't have to fear for my own life right because obviously if you're in that real situation i'm sure your adrenaline goes off like crazy Sure. But it's <laughs> right. it's terrifying where we're removed enough where we're only getting that excitement. And then yeah, like is, is that actually a good thing that, like when you view it from that so I think obviously, like you mentioned, like the violence with film where there's all this, you know, there's mostly I think it was like in the nineties where it became this big thing about like, oh, violence in film and violence in video games is gonna cause all these issues. And of course, like for 20 straight years, the violent crime rate has been going down. So it's right. pretty clear there's not a link there. No. But I do think, but and part of that is because there's a remove. Right. Like, I don't watch John Wick and go like, man, I should really go out and start like head no, right. Eastern <laughs> European gangsters. Like that's just not for right. a multitude of reasons. It's not right. going to happen. But I do think some people have made the argument that like Saving Private Ryan kind of built up this attitude of like dying for your country is this really noble thing right and and that kind of helped lead us into the post 9-11 world where obviously for at least a few years most of the country was behind like a number of wars and i also think now this is going a little off tangent but i know we, we don't have to get into the particulars of this because it could take up its own podcast. But obviously with the, the whole Dave Chappelle thing going on right now, there's a lot of questions about does entertainment change our attitudes? And uh, the CEO of Netflix, Ted Sarandos, was like, no, it doesn't. That's why this is fine. Keeping in mind that when they came out with 13 Reasons Why and then faced a ton of backlash, they put w- trigger warnings on the show. And actually one study found that the month after that first debuted, suicide rates among boys 10 to 17 hit a five year high. So again, it's, I think when we look at any form of violence, whether it's self-harm or it's, we're watching violence, I think it's, can this apply to my life? And then I think there's, that can ultimately shape us to a degree.
0: I think those are all fine points. I, I did not know the latest Dave Chappelle milieu going on right now. I know that he had a new special, and I haven't seen it. Um, I certainly appreciate yes, you extending the violence conversation to include self harm, which I, of course, undoubtedly is is appropriate. Um, I yes, the, the the simple link that people tried to make in the '90s between. Violent video games, and you know, it right, kind of like, was was obviously exactly. it was it. nonsense.
1: Yeah. yeah, no,
0: that that was complete nonsense and and stupid. And I think people don't take that too seriously. I I would say my 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 bigger my my and I, I don't even know that I would call it a concern. It's it's what is when we when we see a movie when people are faced with problems that we see violence as the tool to right, solve the
1: solution it. to the problem. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, there was, I know I could remember and actually spent some time this afternoon trying to find it, but I couldn't find it, but there's, there's this really clever rap lyric where it's something I, I don't have it quite right, but it's something to the extent of, it isn't a plot without a conflict. And I thought that, yeah was something that I remember hearing when I was younger and has kind of stood with me is that we, even the way that we frame storytelling is with tension that a story is about something being conquered, something being dealt with.
1: Right. Like at at any time, if you read any like screenwriting book, they're like first 10 pages, you introduce the conflict of the story. Right.
0: And so everything is, everything is framed in terms of conflict, which is already kind of interesting because I don't, I would say i don't think the average person thinks of their of their day as a kind of conflict i mean there may be there's things to be done but i don't know that right. i would say that it's that's a conflict so to make that the normative version of storytelling is already kind of aggressive it's already like here's a story and it's going to involve a problem right okay then at least it seems to me most commonly that problem is dealt with through some form of violence. And so I, to me, it isn't so much a matter of brainwashing, which I, I agree with you, was complete nonsense. That was kind of yeah. this weird rebuttal to, you know, I, you kind of saw the same thing with like, people saying dumb things about rap music, that it you know was all it was kind of all the same BS, basically, that that was right. a problem. But,
1: like, again, I, I do think, you know, it can shape certain, at, like, I think entertainment can shape certain attitudes. Like, if you look at like, gay rights, where you look at like, how yes. it's portrayed increasingly in a positive light in the 90s and 2000s and then it's like where modern family happens and it's like the biggest show in the country and then like five years later gay marriage is legal yes i mean granted that was a court decision but most people supported that decision so i don't think I think we should obviously be careful about saying, like, you can't affect anything at all. But no, again, right. Well, I like, like most violence that we see depicted, especially obviously superheroes. Yes. It doesn't apply to us. in any No. Way. So it's no. not really going to affect how we view things.
0: No. So it's like no, I do yeah.
1: think if you go back and you look at, like, dirty, hairy type stuff. Right. Like, like the renegade cop who, like, right. doesn't have time for red tape. And then you look at how many shootings we have with police officers. And even right. if you just take race out of the discussion... The number of like white people who get shot by police is an enormous amount that seems wild compared to every other country, and there are obviously other factors. There's you know, sure. gun rights here, blah blah blah, but I do think if you looked at that and you saw for 20, 30 years people were watching these movies where like the cop is always the good guy, the ends right. justify the means, I think that creates a mindset. Whereas if I play, if you're in the 90s and you're a kid, and you're playing Duke Nukem, you're not suddenly like <laughs> going to go around fighting people everywhere. Yes,
0: yeah. no I. That's I I think I mean all all of that is is well said. I mean, I remember making that point about you know, and this is an, an old Adam Carolla joke, but you know, the idea of you know every week there's a new TV show where the cop plays by his own rules. And it's like, yeah, it just becomes kind of stupid <laughs> at some point. Um, I remember there's a, there's a new pop show out right now. And one of the taglines, the guy was like, I ain't no politician. And I'm like, I made a joke to my wife. I'm like, so he's not accountable for his behavior. Like, I mean, what does that <laughs> fucking mean? <laughs> like he doesn't have constituents second. When, when you know, your union is authority. strong
1: enough, Jimmy, when your union is strong enough, you know, it, no one's going to hold it, you accountable.
0: Yeah. It, the, the whole thing is, is, is silly. Um, so saying all that you know what's what's the reason for it I think I think framing framing things in terms of conflict in terms of win, winners and losers is, is just bad in general
1: I could somewhat defend the conflict thing just because I do think it is interesting that is the dominant wording when we talk about yeah. this.
0: And again, uh, I all, think that's all credit point. to the rap song that I can't you know, remember, right? <laughs> I, I really am trying to, I Googled it today, I couldn't uh, find it, but it, it, was, it was a very clever lyric and one that said no, of- No, that,
1: that is good. I, I mean, obviously now conflicts can mean anything within your script. It could, you know, sure. romantic comedies have conflict, right? Yep. Yeah, like you said, I think the wording is interesting there. Um, I do think winners and losers is a deeper problem, just societally. Where we, there's often, if you look at like any form of whether you're looking at politics, where yeah, you're looking at storytelling, where there is this kind of zero-sum game. Yes idea, which obviously, hey, like if, if you've been watching Netflix recently, uh, squid game, very much uh, plays which into I haven't that seen yet, into, and I have but to yeah, watch it. Too, yeah. very much plays into the idea of like the dangers of viewing life as a zero-sum game. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why I love arrival as a movie is that yes. very directly is pushing back on the idea of the world as a zero sum game or the universe i guess
0: and well and very literally which is yeah. which is I'm, I'm always fine with it, it, I, I don't mind something being on the nose as long as it's yeah. a good point point. and so in that movie it's, was just, yes. yeah yeah arrival is actually an excellent example of a movie where not only is conflict not used to solve the plot but when conflict is attempted to be used it horribly backfires yes So it's actually a perfect movie for the things (laughs) I want to talk about because not only does it explain why violence is not, in general, a good approach, but also shows that when used, it can have disastrous consequences. Um, Arrival was was actually a great movie. And um, the, the idea of using language to resolve conflict is know what the cornerstone of civilization i mean is that right yeah. basically what everything comes down to is that in back to my point about ultron you know not having to blow him up the pieces at the end <laughs> even though joe thinks that he's beyond salvation um <laughs> no arrival is actually a, a perfect movie and actually a, just a great movie in general i know that you yeah. like it i do as well um but actually a perfect example of, of a movie where conflict is not used to resolve the main premise the main story point um yeah, it's a wonderful movie. I actually, really, I recommend that people see *Rivalry*. Right? Like they haven't seen it. One of the few movies that actually I bought on YouTube. I own that one. I own *Any oh, Game*. Nice. Yeah, all in all, good choices. Um, but yes, I, I thought, um, you know, framing. So you know, why why violence? As I kind of mentioned to people last week, I began reading on the origins of totalitarianism by a well-known writer, Hannah Arendt. Probably not saying her name right. I um, don't want to start discussing that book quite yet, but I am reading, I'm enjoying it, but more, more and more, and you mentioned politics. I, I despise talking about politics on this podcast. I go to great lengths no, to No, yeah, I don't, we don't have
1: to my, <laughs> my, dive into the politics. My anymore. charming
0: co-host does not always yeah. share my reluctance to discuss politics. No. Um, but basically, <laughs> I think everything more or less I, I frame things that I care the most about in terms of politics is is this very real concern that violence is always on the horizon. That, that that's my fear that there's always this potential for violence, and I think it's it's it, it, it's almost it's almost as if we kind of have a, uh, a a Voldemort mentality where it's like we just don't talk about. But it's, I mean, but it's just so keenly I think real that that violence is, is always a possible outcome for, for conflict. And then therefore it's one that we should just take seriously and always commit ourselves to like saying, hey, we're not gonna fight over this to, to, to the greatest degree possible in that, um, to the point about movies impacting us, I think it would be a nice thing to see more movies where violence is not used as a tool. Not because again, I'm not worried about people being influenced to go out and turn into John Wick, that is a right. far. But even just to introduce in their idea that there, you know, are other tools in the the tool belt, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to me would be enough.
1: Yeah, uh, another movie that I mean, ultimately violence does end up kind of solving the issue, some of the issues in the movie. Yeah, Space Jam. No, (laughs) (laughs) Space Jam too. My favorite movie. No, um, is the uh, second Planet of the Apes movie, which is very much about trying to avoid violence and then having other people kind of like, or, or apes (laughs) other living (laughs) beings, like having been harmed enough where they feel like violence has to be the answer in the the situations that that creates, which uh, ultimately, again, violence does end up being part of the short term solution in that movie, but it creates a longer term problem, which I think is one of the beauties of that franchise in, in its entirety, which really is about like, you know, these apes and the humans don't have to kill each other. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but through circumstance and through other people not realizing that, you end up in a situation where violence ends up being inevitable. Well, I guess the the point is the violence wasn't inevitable, but...
0: Right. But it became by ignoring it. I, yeah. Yeah. Let me... Let me set you up. I know you're a busy guy, Joe. We're going to wrap up soon. Let me... Let me end with an idea that I was tossing around in my head today, and uh, you let me know if you agree with it or not, All right, and uh, we'll kind of close on this point. I was thinking, I was thinking about an, an interpretation of optimism. So as, as you know, Joe and I spent a fair amount of time talking about David Deutsch's book, The Beginning of an Infinity, where he essentially defines optimism as problems being solvable that problems are inevitable, but that problems are solvable. And I think an interpretation of that is that the enemy of violence is time, that if we can just buy time, we can solve conflict without violence, that violence is kind of this thing people go to out of desperation. Um, that would be my an, an interpretation, I guess, of optimism that, uh, violence can be defeated with time with, I mean, it has to be with human effort. I'm not a believer in the moral arc of the universe. I think that's kind of a stupid thing to say, but, um, but I think coupled with human effort, if we just have time, violence can be avoided. Um, Do you agree?
1: Um, I think that's generally true, but I mean, as with anything, I wouldn't take it to the absolute just because I mean, (laughs) This it's kind of the go-to example for like, right. Go ahead. Bring up, bring, up, bring up the Holocaust. Here it comes. Oh
0: well, no. Well,
1: I mean, it's linked to the Holocaust, which is yeah. Israel and Palestine. Oh sure. Where because if you're arguing about land, then you end up with kind of a situation where, on some level, it is zero sum. Like, right. Uh, if someone takes your home and they're yes. living in your home now, the only solution for you is to get your home back. So right. in that situation, obviously, that's why I think empathy. Obviously, you kind of need this link of yeah, being able to empathize with someone and realizing that. I mean, I think just it's realizing that you're not special to a degree, or mm. you're not more special than anyone else. It's like mm. we all have the same inherent value.
0: Just value because, yes, yes. Yeah, yes.
1: just because you're American or you're Israeli or you're Palestinian or whatever you don't have then more inherent value than someone else. Now I'm not saying governments should necessarily view the world that way because unless everyone did, it's not going to work. But I think just on an individual level, remembering that, I think that's a very helpful way to avoid violence is just seeing my own wants do not automatically trump someone else's. And so even if you're in a situation where just effort and time doesn't solve that problem, having that in the back of your mind that I'm not more important than the person next to me is another way. But I, I do generally agree though. I think when you look at things like world hunger, I, I'm an optimist and I think we can solve that. Now it, we're not going to solve it if everyone decides to be organic, but that's a whole nother discussion.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, actually, no, you are correct. Uh... Yeah, we can make fun of organic, et cetera, on another time. Uh, <laughs> probably one of the few things you and I agree on. No, actually, you and I probably agree on it quite a bit. Um, the, the point you make about inherent value is, of course, not only a true point, but an important point and an idea that uh, was hard fought. And um, we should take more, and more time to remember it. I certainly agree with you on that. Again, we come back to the problem of zero-sum and yeah. the challenge of zero-sum conflict, that when we, frame, when, when, when we frame worth in terms of things that are zero-sum, the inevitability of conflict is that somebody will lose and that in general, people yeah. don't want to. <laughs> so, right. um, so no, I, I agree with you there as well. Um, that's kind of my, my case for growth is kind of the gradual erosion of zero-sum thinking. Um, and with it, a bunch of other things as well. Um, the kind of, you know, fallback of different categories of people, I think oftentimes are zero sum race or class or something is if framing it, framing another person's gain as your loss is by definition, zero sum. Yeah. And uh, of course is responsible either entirely or partly for all sorts of atrocities, uh, the world over. So um, that was all that I had for today. I mean, we began on world hunger. No, um, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Joe, tell people where they can find you. They want to hear more, more of your take on things here on a, on a few platforms, actually, where can people find you?
1: Uh, yeah, if you're into football or fantasy football, uh, go to the IB Network on Spotify or Apple, wherever. It's a podcast group. I do the uh, daily fantasy and the weekly football recaps on those. Um, Twitter, which honestly, you're probably mostly just going to get me retweeting progressive politics takes. <laughs> but uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Joe. E Matt, so that's Joe with two E's, Matt's M-A-T-Z. It's
0: a little bit this. This is the Joe with two E's, the other Joe with four underscores in between the Jose and the cuervo Um, yeah, definitely check out Joe Matt's. Like I said, him and I, friends for a long time. More and more I find myself agreeing with things he says, just don't let him know I said so. Um and if you enjoyed, and if you enjoyed this episode, check us out on Twitter as well at roses underscore rhetoric. We're also on Instagram. I also follow the charming co-host Joseph Stanford at Jose Four underscores Cuervo. Until next time, I am Jimmy Hackett signing off for Joseph Mass and Joseph Stanford saying ciao.